This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR. Coming at you guys midweek. Hope you are doing well. Hope you're hanging in there. Um, hopefully you found some sort of routine by now to make these days go um, somewhat faster. And, and uh, I don't know, your situations are probably uh, all over the map. Everybody has hopefully, like I said, been able to, to maintain some happiness, maintain some peace and um, some semblance of normalcy. So I hope this finds you well. And uh, I hope I can take your mind off of uh, what's going on in the day-to-day life and, and talk Browns. The the big news of the day is the signing of Adrian Claiborne, right? Um, the, sort of the biggest news we've had at all in a little bit. And uh, it's a good signing, a good edge uh, signing the Browns new. And most people covering the team, most people who are um, you know having discourse on social media, knew that the Browns needed to add somebody along the defensive edge to sort of improve the depth of that position, and I think um, it was very important heading into the draft that they didn't need to uh, to reach right for an edge player because they have two frontline guys who I think are good enough. Obviously, Miles Garrett's very good. Olivier Vernon is is very good when he's on the field and healthy. Was very good last year when he was healthy and playing, and uh, is a good frontline sort of edge setting uh, and opposite of Garrett. I thought he he sort of complemented Miles well, but they needed somebody to to back up outside they it didn't you know hasn't felt to me in a while like Cleveland has had a real rotational edge um, you know edge player who can who can provide some sort of steady presence when he gets on the field um, and can actually be a factor right they've had some some odds and ends uh, rotating Chris Smith and uh, Nate Orchard and Carl Nassib and and um, um, Chad Thomas, right? I, I, they, I'm sorry. It's just they haven't had any real effective players coming off of the edge in a rotation role for a while. And I think that's not to disrespect the likes of Carl Nassib, who's found his footing down in Tampa Bay, but like a real threat. And I think Adrian Claiborne is a real threat um, coming off the edge. He, if you have the chance, if, you, if you're a subscriber to Pro Football Focus, and I'll put something out film room-wise on him, but um, just a good player said – Two of the last three years has had pass rush grades uh, above 76 overall, 76.6 last year, 87.2 in 2017. It's been a year with New England in 2018. And uh, um, I would think that that most people would tell you his last three years have been his best three years. Uh, Inconsistent as a first-round pick with with Tampa Bay, then lands in Atlanta, starts to kind of find his footing uh, 2015-16. And then really, like I said, 
finds his uh, his stride in the last three years. And I think that's probably something the Browns were looking at, right? Is like this guy has a 10 sack year in 2017 and sort of 2018 goes to new England where it's a, it's a system based thing. And sometimes sacks produce, sometimes they don't heads back to Atlanta. They wanted him back where he had 39 hurries, four sacks, five quarterback hits was an effective player getting after the quarterback and specifically against Carolina where he had, you know, I think three sacks total between those games and, and um, a ridiculous 10 pressures on the quarterback. So uh, he, he's not going to be a, you know, a, a guy that they would have counted on to start opposite Miles, um, but he's a guy that can be a really fun rotational player for them and give them a threat coming off the bench if he gets you know, any given week. If he gets 25 to 30 snaps a game, he could make a couple impact plays that can swing a football game. And it's nice to know that if, if something happens – um, throughout a game, maybe somebody's tired, winded, or, you know, God forbid the injury happens, you have somebody who can step up and be a presence off the edge. So getting him for around $3.5 million over two years, um, you know, a 3.5 each year is a, is a really good bargain. He's going to be 32 by the time the year starts and um, will play, you know, his 30, age 33 year here if everything works out. I, th- I think it's a good signing. I mean, a lot of you folks have asked about Everson Griffin. It seems like the money for Everson and Jadevian Clowney is still too high for what Cleveland wants to give those players. So as of right now, I think they're out of those sweepstakes. But, um, you know, you never know if they want to continue to make a splash. They have money to spend in the here and now. They could decide to do that. So uh, stay tuned. I don't, I don't have any inside information on that. I know they've had discussions with both. I know that they're looking to probably add another linebacker, veteran linebacker, before the draft. Uh, you know, Nigel Bradham's been a guy that's been brought up uh, several times on on uh, discourse that's gone on through you know back channel text conversations I've had and and um, you know upfront and Twitter for you guys to see and all of that. I think they're going to add somebody probably at will, uh, at least two guys. I think at linebacker they'll add whether that's to the draft uh, total or whether free agency. I'm not sure. But I think they'll add there. Uh, but this is a good signing. It's, it addresses now that I think the Browns have three really good edge players and three pretty solid interior players to uh, to anchor the pass rush and run defense that I think was a problem last year. So it's good to see. And it's also good to go into the draft with only one real need, and uh, that's left tackle, uh, barring any kind of change or any kind of trade made. But that's a left tackle ahead of the draft, right, and um, the ability to go into that draft where the value – meets the best player available at 10 or right around there uh, they should be able to find a tackle that fits that bill right is is you know you want to go into these drafts with the best player available in mind and not have to reach for positions and i think they've done a nice job of addressing a lot of places that they had concerns about so they don't have to reach so that's the positive of these signings and i really like the claiborne signing for where the browns are and what they need in an edge player and a guy who comes from a place in atlanta who uh, between the last three years atlanta and new england He's been around winning cultures. Uh, I don't know the guy well enough to know whether he's a leadership type, but he's been around winning cultures, so that that part will uh, will be nice as well. So a uh, good signing. Um, maybe some more here leading into for finally going to hit April, right? Um, and then and then hopefully they can maybe figure out a linebacker and then head into the draft and and uh, focus on best player available, which will be a fun time to get our minds off everything. We have a good guest. Good friend of mine from Cleveland.com, Doug Lamarice. Uh, we're going to get to him. Tons of different topics. A really good conversation. We recorded this last night and uh, before the Claiborne signing. But 
I did want to address it before we got to that. We did not bring it up, obviously, because we had no clue. Uh, but it's a good conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. And um, yeah, let's get over to uh, to our interview. Okay, we're going to welcome in friend of the show, Doug Lamarice, Cleveland.com, Browns, Cavs, and the guy does everything. He is, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, probably, um, who's a super utility player? I don't know. He's the utility man who does it all, big time nice. Ohio State guy, all the, all the different anchors of things up there. How you doing today, Doug? I'm doing great, Jakey boy. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm trying to stay entertained, so I'm trying to come up with as many Browns topics as we can. We have yes. we have fully flushed free agency to the point that I I think everybody who listens to this podcast has a has a pretty good feel for how I how I view these guys. But I want to get your opinion. I want to get your thought. We haven't talked for a while on this this platform, so I want to get your thoughts on kind of all of it, man. So I want to know. Yeah. Okay, we've sat up there in Cleveland and Berea. We've talked about Freddie. We were both all in on Freddie. We thought this is the right guy at the right yep. time. We wrote about it extensively. Felt right. Everything felt right. Then the season happened, and we're like, holy shit, what happened? Um, we don't need to rehash what happened. I think we've all talked about that enough. But I want to know what you think of this This group. is is like I, The thing I've told myself, Doug, is like I'm not going to – I learned from Freddie. I learned from Hugh. I thought those guys were like, all right, this is this is it. This, this makes sense. It feels right. With Hugh, they got the big name at the time, the guy everybody wanted – with Freddie, it's like, we don't need to make this harder than it seems to be. Let's just hire this guy, even though he's inexperienced, and we'll go with it, and Baker likes him. Where are you with this group, and what what about this group, A, do you think is good enough to work, or B, says maybe maybe it doesn't work? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that they're connected from top to bottom, which is what everybody has said from the get-go, right? From the minute they hired Stefanski and they had the synergy with Deep Podesta and then they bring in Andrew Barry, all that alignment. I know it's a catchword, but I, I mean, I think it, it's real. And so we're so used to infighting with the Browns that like the idea of like, oh, they don't automatically have people who sort of are like fighting with each other the minute they get hired. That's progress, right? That they all seem to be on the same page. Um the one thing that I am a little trying to, to pull back on to some degree is I feel like there's been a, a good amount of sort of praise for the staff that Kevin Stefanski has brought in. But I thought a year ago, as, as inexperienced as Freddie Kitchens was, I thought it seemed like Freddie brought in a pretty good staff. And mm-hmm. that when you looked at what Todd Monken had done and what um, Steve Wilkes had done and what James Campen had done, right, that there were – there were multiple people on Freddie's staff where you thought, well, that's an upgrade. That's an offensive line upgrade. Well, that's a defensive coordinator upgrade. They were bringing in real dudes. And so I understand being excited about Joe Woods and Alex Van Pelt and a lot of these things. But but uh, uh, some of that to me is like, well, you know, it didn't feel like the assistants were a problem a year ago either. So I like the alignment. And then I think probably the other thing that I like the best is the guy who's going to be in the room with Baker, right? I thought that a year ago that Ryan Lindley as an inexperienced guy who had never really been a quarterback's coach in the NFL before, making him Baker's position coach, now you have Alex Van Pelt, that seems to be a significant step up to me. So if they're on the same page and the guy directly coaching the most important player on the team, if that's a step up, then I'm all in on that stuff. The rest of it, I don't want to get too excited about the staff because I thought it was pretty good last time too. Well, I'll say this. I, I do recall specifically, 
And I agree. I agree about the staff. I praise the staff that he put together at the time. And I still think he brought together a lot of really, a lot of really smart minds and a lot of really smart coaches who had proven themselves at various levels. But I really found it interesting as we were approaching preseason, it was almost right before, right after the orange and brown scrimmage. And I asked Todd Monken, like, what, what are your, what are your expectations of what are you going to do on game day? That kind of stuff. And he didn't even know yet. And I found that kind of fascinating because it's like, that would be probably one of the first, I don't know, discussions you have with your expectations of your assistant coaches. And here's what I want you to do on game day. You're going to be here. You're going to be there. Here's what I want in practices. Here's what I want before practices. All that stuff would be flushed out. And I've just found it really weird that he didn't have any answer. He's like, I don't know yet. And I'm sure Freddie and I will get that ironed out. And I think that what it boils down to is you can have smart people. You can have great assistant coaches. But can you manage those personalities? That's what Freddie failed to do on multiple levels, right? He failed to manage the personalities of his his roster and clearly failed with with the coaches that he brought in. So I'm I'm not giving an endorsement to Kevin Stefanski on this, but it does, I guess it does appear that that's something that they would really flush out. Is this guy able to not just lead, you don't, as a head coach, you don't just have to lead your players. That's a misconception. There's, there's more to it. You got to lead other grown men, some of which are older than you. And that's the case, right. the case for Freddie, right? Like those, some of those guys, most of those guys are older than Freddie. And I think Kevin's even younger. It's going to be an even, even bigger part of that process. So that is, an important factor I think it's looked over. And I, it's something I keep thinking about when people bring up this good point like you are about, about well, we praised the staff last year. That's true. But how did he manage those guys? So that part of it's fascinating to me. Um, I, you know, what that, that's a big part to pay attention to. I, I will say, Jake, is that sometimes with this, though, and it's what the problem of what happens with the Browns is, I, I've heard people say often, like, your worst – staff as a head coach is your first staff right like mm-hmm. on one hand it's sort of like well I'll, these are the guys if i ever get a job i'm gonna hire these guys right and uh, lots of guys have that this is like almost my a team but on the other hand especially when you're a first-time head coach you've never done it before so maybe you get guys in there and then you realize oh this mix of guys or oh i thought this guy would be this way and he's not i think they had freddie come back i would i would have imagined there would have been some changes i don't think Todd Munkin would have been back, right? That Todd Munkin's got a resume, but that didn't work. So maybe would have Freddie, Freddie would have figured some stuff out. You look at Ryan day and I made a million comparisons last year between Ryan day at Ohio state and Freddie kitchens. You know, Mike Yersich was, was hired as their offensive coordinator under Ryan day. He left for Texas after a year, they adjusted, even the good coaches often adjust that first staff. So I think on one hand, yes, you can expect that maybe Kevin Stefanski will be a better, a little better the first time around with his first staff. But on the other hand, you often improve in year two and the issue and maybe even in year three and your, your staff grows together. And the issue with the Browns is they so seldom get to year two and year three. You don't have any of that growth. So I think Kevin Stefanski will probably have some of the same growing pains with his staff that Freddie did. Do you think... Okay, this is just an opinion question, purely opinion. There's probably nothing to even base it on. But do you think these guys... Oh, I love those the best. <laughs> well, they're the best open-ended, <laughs> right? So, like, do you think these guys, no matter what... Because, like, I would say that for a year one coach, given Freddie's situation was really tough coming in to a high-expectation situation, do you think that this group sees three to four years? Like, do you think, regardless of what happens, unless there's just, like, a Cleveland Browns of all time thing, which scandaly, I just don't Stefanski doesn't strike me as the type to let that kind of stuff happen. I mean, I'm guess I'm saying like, okay, they go seven and nine, something along 
does this seem like the type that they want to commit to to three to four years and, and give them an actual chance to run this thing out? I, again, just a guess, the fact that they went away kind of from the front office way of thinking, from the analytics first kind of way of thinking, and went to the football guy in Dorsey, and now that they're back to sort of that original thinking, and they actually, Paul, Paul D. Podesta survived it all, Andrew Barry left and came back. I think this is where Fred, where Jimmy Haslam wants to be in terms of a front office. Mm-hmm. So I do think that he is then committed. If you bring Andrew Barry back, and if you let Paul D. Podesta stick around this long, and now you really empower Paul D. Podesta, that feels like you're finally getting to maybe where you wanted to be all along. So I do think the front office will have like at least three years. This is what we're doing. This is our plan. These are our guys. Now, if Stefanski bombs and Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta say, we whiffed, we missed, he's not the guy, then maybe Kevin Stefanski is gone after two years. Now, I, I don't think he's going to bomb, but I, I think they have decided on a path, and that path is front office driven. And as a result, that yes, I do think Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta are going to have a little bit of a leash here because you know, otherwise you're coming back to a thing and now you're changing course. This I think is Jimmy Haslam's, his affinity for how to run a team is this, and he's going to let it play out. Very much agree. I think I'm thinking that we're going to agree too much here, which is a problem for me. We're, we're going to agree too listen, much. Jake, I want to, you're a jerk. <laughs> listen, I want to throw the hot take at you. that They got me some, some, some angry replies. I, I don't throw many hot takes out. I try to be pretty calculated, but you know, I, I I threw one out that I think I stand by this, and I want you to tell me if you agree with me or you think I'm crazy. Which it could be. I think it's probably crazy, but that's okay. Going to interrupt Brown's film breakdown real quick to talk to guys about our good friends over at BetOnline.ag. Times are tough. No sports. Very few. We might have some craziness coming up with Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson. Who knows? Might be some UFC coming. Might be some WrestleMania. If you're looking to scratch that gambling itch. Go no further than betonline.ag. The exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports events and games to wager on. Let them bring Vegas to you or your front door. You could even play in the online casino or blackjack. It's open 24 hours a day, all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props, entertainment betting, you can bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the weather if you want to get crazy. Visit their website, join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. You heard that right, 100% welcome bonus. Just use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word, bet online, your online waging experts. Now back to the podcast. We're going to kind of shift the player acquisitions. Um, the, okay. the, the first wave of player acquisitions included one I thought was pretty controversial, which is they brought in Case Keenum. Now, I get... The, the, there's one, there's two sides of this whole thing. You want an experienced backup. Um, you want a good person as your backup quarterback, and you want a guy who will eh, kind of air quotes, push your quarterback and make him be a better player. That's what everybody wants in a backup. But in case Keenan fills those things, and he's had good football seasons in his past, obviously tied to Kevin Stefanski and many people brought up case before the signing happened, but they go out, they spend, Six, six, six and a half million a year on this guy for the first two years are pretty much, you know, a lock that he's going to be here. I'm on the other side of the fence with this, where it tells me that they don't 100% believe in Baker because 
the teams that pay for top-notch backups typically have this to this this thread. They have a quarterback they're uncertain about, whether he's young or sort of a middle gap person. They have guys uncertain about. They either have a guy who's very old, like like Drew Brees uh, type age, uh, or Philip Rivers type age, who they think might be frail, might get hurt. Um, or in in the, the some cases, it's about being a bridge guy that could end up even being, being the starter. You don't see, my point is you don't see the Chiefs spending on a backup quarterback. You don't see the Texans spending on a backup quarterback. Haven't seen the, 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 the for example, quarterbacks in his class. I haven't seen the Bills. I haven't seen the Jets spend on a backup quarterback. So it tells me that I think they're not 100% committed to him. Not the end of the world. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield now sucks, but what it tells me is they don't fully believe this is the guy. Because any backup quarterback who sticks around with a veteran age is going to be typically a good guy. He's he's not. You're not going to have a backup quarterback who's 33 years old or whatever, who's a, she's a shitty person and, and nobody likes to be around him and he doesn't help in the film room and he doesn't set a good example. All of those guys are pretty much the same. If you look at the backup quarterbacks across the league, they carry the same personality traits. So what it tells me is they don't fully believe in Baker 150%. They think there's a little bit of wiggle room where we're not sure if this guy's going to be able to handle the system. We're not sure if he's more year two than year one and we want to have a contingency plan for this situation arriving am i stupid in thinking that or do you think this is all we just want a good backup and we're willing to pay for it because to me it's like two baker's never been hurt people we want to back you're spending six and a half million dollars on a player that could have been a nickel for you a starting nickel or a starting linebacker you're spending that for a guy who's more likely if the quarterback is who we all think he is is going to be on the bench all the time and baker does not have an injury history he's only been hurt at Texas Tech, his freshman year, he's never had an issue since then. So I don't know your floor. What do what do you think about the Keenum signing? I think you. I think I disagree with you I, I, because I think you can view the Case Keenum signing as an investment in Baker, and that here is a similar style of quarterback who knows Kevin Stefanski, who has had success in this system. And as much of uh, we all made of that Deshaun Kaiser was thrown into a quarterback room with no veteran leadership um, when he got here, and that was probably a mistake. Um, You know, Drew Stanton was around last year, but they end up with, you know, Garrett Gilbert kind of signed from the AFL as a he's probably the backup. I think you can view case keenum not as a replacement for baker but as a as a tutor for baker and that will pay six million dollars for him to not play because we think he can help bring the best out of baker and that we have a quarterbacks coach that we believe in but we're also going to have a guy who is going to be ready if there's an, an injury but is going to help make baker better and so I don't I don't know the whole history. It doesn't, you know, Mitch Trubisky got three full years in Chicago before they brought in competition in year four. Marcus Mariota got four years with the Titans before they brought in Ryan Tannehill in year five. I mean, I just don't know of a lot of quarterbacks taken at the top of the draft who you really truly are starting to think about giving up on in year three. And so to me, Keenum is more about maximizing Baker than hedging on baker and it can be both at the same time but i think it might be worth spending nickelback money on a guy who you hope is going to help bring out the best of the number one pick in the draft but my counter to that is what does that say about your young quarterback right i mean if you think you have to pay 
somebody six and a half million dollars to show him. And I'm not saying you're wrong about that. He might need these things. But that to me is a little bit of like a he needs that. He he really needs that. This guy who's been put like, I don't know. I'm just saying it's a little strange to me. And I'm just looking at like data of this has never been. And you made a good point there about the end. Even these quarterbacks who are kind of now on the out now with Mariota and Trubisky and some others, they didn't really have, they got three good years before they felt like, right. oh man, that door's kind of closing on me. I get both sides, and I'm not trying to move Baker out. All I tried to say was, and people kind of got mad at me, is like, that's a lot of money to spend if you if you fully believe your quarterback can handle the mental side and he can handle what it takes to be a driven leader all the time. You don't do that. But there's something missing there. And I don't think I'm being the sharpest knife in the drawer saying that, right? Like, he needs that. And I think part of the reason you might believe he needs it is because you spent his first two years in the league giving him Hugh Jackson, firing Hugh Jackson halfway through the year. That's a good point. Then Greg Williams with the Freddie offense. Then Freddie in charge with Monkett. He has been jerked around so much in his first two years with his head coaches, with his offensive coordinators, with his GMs that this is maybe almost like a, a makeup gift. And that ideally, yes. I mean, ideally, you bring in a rookie quarterback and, you know, he, he doesn't need Case Keenum in year three to help him through. Mm-hmm. But Baker really has had the rug pulled out from under him uh, in multiple ways through the first two seasons. So, so I think maybe being um, overly aggressive in trying to help get him straightened out might be a reaction to like, sorry, we screwed you up for the first two years. And I think that's true. I think there's there's a part of that. And there's also like when you lay this out in front of the, yourself at the table and say, you know, what what does the front office think about this? Well, A, he's, he's, he's a good quarterback to have as a backup. Um, probably not a great starter anymore, though he did have one good year there with, with Stefanski, although not the same wide zone Shanahan uh, Kubiak system at the time. There was a Pat Shermer system, but nonetheless, he's been with him. Um, you could at least have that familiarity. You have a quarterback who can play if Baker gets hurt. And then see, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of Baker's always played a little better when he's felt a little threatened, right? When he's always got to have to have that chip on his shoulder. And, um, you know, it's also a nice CYA if Baker does take a tumble. Like if he's if he's more year two, he proves in year three that he's more year two then year one, you got a guy who can come in and probably be a consistent uh, enough quarterback that you could win some games if you needed. I don't know. I, I see the whole picture. I just find – I find opinions on this topic to be kind of interesting about if that was a wise investment. So I want to get your take. What do you think of the other two guys? You like Conklin, you like Cooper, and then you like sort of the one-year bridge guys on defense? Yeah, um, I get the Hooper thing. I mean, I uh, the idea of – you know, how much time and energy we all spent and certainly guys like you who, who know it better than I do spent more time on it, but that, you know, they were a team that had done so, so much in 12 personnel and been so effective. And then they end up with, you know, three receivers last year, they're trying to get on the field and, you know, then their only good tight end gets hurt. And all of a sudden you're throwing passes to Demetrius Harris when it matters. And (laughs) and so let's give Baker two good tight ends. Let's lean into a formation let's you know let's again this is all this stuff of, of stuff being connected let's spend money on players that fit the scheme we want to play um i like the hooper thing you know conklin I, i'm not breaking film down on conklin and that kind of thing but 
you know, I'm so excited for Chris Hubbard to not be the right tackle. And I know a lot of people were sort of like, oh, well, they did a smart thing in restructuring him and keeping him. It's like, yeah, because he's a backup. He's <laughs> he's always been a backup. And John Dorsey just decided to pay him like a starter and play him as a starter. But Chris Hubbard is a backup. And so if you're going to say, well, we went and got the best right tackle on the market, I mean, I'm not going to complain about that. So uh, I was I, you know, I wrote a thing about when Malcolm Jenkins was on the market. I was maybe looking for them to make a big splash at safety because that felt like that could be an important position. There were some sort of big name veteran guys there. I was sort of all in on the idea of not just getting a guy who could play at safety, but like a real veteran leader that could sort of be the voice back there. Cause I think they could use that. You know, you, you lose a guy like Christian Kirksey, who's the voice for the defense now. So I, I maybe would have liked them to do a little more at safety, um, but I think it's been precise, right? I mean, I think like everything Andrew Barry does has been done with precision, with very specifically targeting needs, not going, you know, when you get Hooper and you, you go big and then the other ones, you, you know, you go small to fill holes. So in totality, um, I get it. You know, I just maybe would have been in line for maybe one more really big kind of playmaker and personality on the defensive side of the ball that they maybe didn't get well there's a couple names still out there everson griffin could find a way here would be a really fun three-man rotation the jadevian clown he's kind of still floating trying to find some money too i think you're yep. right i think I, I do wish that whether it is pick 10 or 41 or some other signing which you know they have top five money remaining because they backloaded the hooper and conklin deals which um, right. I think I think Hooper's deal, although kind of ugly on the paper right now in terms of what he is compared to some of the other top tight ends, he's at tier two. He will be far surpassed. I mean, I think they got out in front of you know, George Kittle and and, and Kelsey are going to keep rewriting that that market. So getting out in front of that, I think was good. But anyway, yes, I do hope they they sign. So I was really in on Malcolm Jenkins as well. I mean, that's a great story. That could have been fantastic. Who who was it that uh, was it Dante Whitner that came here? Or am I am I off on that? Yeah, all, all those years ago. No, yeah, yeah Dante was a very similar thing. Yeah, Ohio State. I mean, Dante's a Cleveland guy too. But yeah, I mean, yeah. again, you can't sign guys because they played at Ohio State. But Dante and Malcolm were both are similar guys in that, especially late in their career. They're such ferocious, aggressive defensive players, but they're just such hard nosed guys in the locker room that you want them around. And and I do think as much as Everybody, I think, is all in on them really targeting guys getting ready to go into their prime and that, you know, if they're if they're getting you at 26 or 27, then they'll give you big money, but they're not going to spend a lot of money on older guys. And I get that um, from a strategic standpoint, but I also think maybe after what this team went through last year, they could use a voice or two, right? And sometimes you've got to pay for that experience. So, you know, if the Ravens can go out and... Um, God, what's the guys, what's the safe Earl? If they go, the Ravens can go pay Earl Thomas, right? I mean, I was just sort of looking for like an Earl Thomas kind of move um, defensively for the Browns. And, and again, I don't, I don't think they'd quite made it. No, I don't, I don't think so. Sandejo is a little older, right? But he's not, he's not an impact guy that would feel probably right. all too More like a stop gap, right? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Which is my, here, here's my last point. This is the last kind of thing I've really been interested in getting people's opinion about, which is, there's there's the the thought process when the Cooper you know Cooper Hooper and Conklin deals are signed that they're backloading them and what about all of these guys they have to resign you know if you if you put aside the cap as a myth theory and say well they do have some guys that they're 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 maybe going to have to resign and I'm thinking to myself like are we are we sure about that like you got to look at it this way Miles Garrett is 
still a lock, right? He, even though the situation happens last year, he's still a lock, you know, regardless of, because he's the only one to me of the young guys that has proven to be like, this is, this is a big time second contract guys. Very good. They'll lock him up. Maybe, maybe give him a fifth year option, lock him up, but they'll probably lock him up before that. Of these other guys that are there, right? Denzel Ward's in a big year. He has, he has been pretty good, but he's been hurt, right? He's missed time both seasons. He's shown a propensity to bury his head tackling. He's had soft tissue injuries. He's missed some time each year. I guess my, my question, like in Baker's obviously like, is Baker the guy we believe in? If you look at this grouping of young talent and then you start talking about Nick Chubb is, is your contracts for running backs a year two con or a second contract for running backs is almost turning into a, uh, a way of the past. Like which of these guys do you think ends up being a big, this is projection on your behalf here and I'll give my opinion too. But like, which of these guys do you think they're going to end up having to really pay? Like, cause it still seems to be a pretty big mystery about if these guys are the guy they think that they are. Do you get what I'm saying there? No, for sure. And I think that's, again, that that's going to be, if the Browns ever get good with the way the NFL works, something that Browns fans are going to get, have to get used to is losing good players because that's how it works. You get your quarterback and you build, if you have a franchise quarterback that you think can be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, then he stays and practically everything else around him changes in and out. I'm just calling up like the salary cap situation for like the Seattle Seahawks. And really when you look at them and you think about what they were when it was was Russell Wilson offensively and then that devastating defense. And in the end, they have Russell Wilson on offense and they have Bobby Wagner at linebacker on defense. And those are their two tent poles. And almost everything else has changed around mm -hmm. them. So I don't know that in this game that you get more than one on each side of the ball that you say, these are the guys we're keeping no matter what. And, and then you have to be prepared to lose almost everybody else. So to me, it makes sense that it's Baker on one side and Miles Garrett on the other. And, and I just said this to someone else. You're at the point where, you know, Baker Mayfield is playing to prove that the, that the Browns must pay him. And Nick Chubb is playing to prove that the Browns can't pay him. He's trying to play. Nick Chubb's trying to lead the NFL in rushing. If Nick Chubb leads the NFL in rushing, he is not going to stay here. Like, it's just not going to fit with what they want to do with how they're going to build a team. I don't know that this is a front office that's going to invest gigantic Ezekiel Elliott money in a running back. And Nick Chubb might be that good. So I, I don't want to Francisco or Lindor. I don't want to, you know, make Nick Chubb into the next, you know, where we're counting down losing a superstar. But. That's the reality in the NFL, right, Jake, is that, you know, we have too many good players and the Browns can't pay them all and you have to pick and choose. And if I had to pick and choose, I'd pick Baker on offense and Miles Garrett on defense. I'm with you. I think that it's going to get interesting in terms of like, what do these guys want? That's what happened with Conklin, right? Like he has an all pro rookie season. His second year, he has a good year, tears his ACL in the playoffs, comes back too early in 2018 battles through an up and down year more down than up leaves the end of the year with another knee injury doesn't have to have surgery but another knee injury and then the titans are like well we're not going to pick up your fifth year option because we don't know if you're going to be that guy again and then all of a sudden he has another right. good year four and he's a free agent and he's gone so this is my thing with like with denzel okay say denzel has 
another sort of good year when he's playing, but he has a, a groin injury that he causes four games to be – are the Browns going to say, well – we got to pay this guy. I, I don't know. That's where it's like we, we all look at the cap and everyone. The, the constant thing that comes up when they sign those deals for the, the two big players they've signed so far or you look at the future is like, well, they got to pay all these guys. Well, do, do you really? Because you don't know how many of those guys outside of Miles Garrett. There hasn't been a dead on for sure hit. You can think about it. But I think that's something we're all still going. Year three for 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 Baker, for Nick, and for Denzel are going to tell a really really big story about the future of the franchise, and that's why I thought those Coop, the Hooper Conklin deals and sort of backloading them was interesting to me about being able to try to put every piece of talent around Baker right now and in the, into that defense right now that you can before, like you said, Doug, it gets really really tight financially and you got to let some guys walk and you sign your pillars and that's kind of like we draft and fit some of these guys and that's why like the one-year deals maybe carl joseph has a big year maybe andrew billings has a big year and you can't afford to keep them you can at least get a comp pick back and that's what some of the best teams have mastered over this time so look i've ate up enough of your time he's doug Maurice. he's fantastic follow him follow his work you probably do being the smart listener that the browns film breakdown brings into this atmosphere um, but if you're not rectify it, right, Doug, I, I would imagine they need to rectify that. No, that's all right. I mean, I just, I just mostly steal stuff from you, Jake. So if people aren't true. following me. That's fine. That's <laughs> not true. Listen, he's the best you're guy great, out man. there. You're great. Yeah, stop it. You're, you're, you're the, you're the maestro, man. You're the, all the Ohio state info I can get. I go to you and, um, I text you during games, Ohio state games and just try to, just try to bother you and ignore, you know, annoy you so that you, <laughs> you can, uh, tell me to shut up. But anyway, Hey, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate you taking some time. Good talking to you, Jake. I'll talk to you soon. want to once again thank Doug for taking time out of his day to uh, join us on Brown's Phone Break. I hope you guys got a lot out of that conversation. Doug and I really do a nice job of kind of throwing opinions at each other and seeing how crazy we can get and talking each other off the ledge and all of that good stuff. I mean, I, I always enjoy talking to him and have enjoyed talking to him up at training camps and all of that good stuff. And uh, good guy, good interview. Uh, one of the best covering Ohio State and one of the best guys when he gets up to Cleveland writing on, um, you know, all three major pro sports. So read him and, and follow along if you can. I think he gives a nice perspective, uh, something outside of the box a lot of times, maybe the way you don't think. But if you're open to hearing how others think, thought process wise, he's a, he's a good follow. So um, thanks for listening. As usual, I always appreciate you guys coming along. If you have not given us a review on iTunes, I really would appreciate that. I hope you can find in your heart to give us five stars or leave a nice comment. I always really appreciate that. We will have soon a uh, – we're going to be launching a couple exciting things at the OBR. I will get to that midweek. Um, I guess it's going to be midweek. We'll probably get to it a little later in the week. We'll see. I don't know. You, you might listen to this on Thursday. Who knows what the schedule looks like. But you will know about something cool coming with the OBR. And we will do our video – live mock draft on the Browns phone breakdown YouTube channel that we have done traditionally. We will get that to you guys too uh, as well, which is really fun. I get Brendan Leister and, and uh, Mike Krupka, who's Hawaii Browns, who we on Twitter and we, we do uh, we do a live draft trades and everything. So I hope you can follow along. Um, keep your, keep your uh, family safe, keep yourself safe, keep your mind right. Uh, DMs are always open. If you want to chat football, I try to get everybody I can. A lot of those have come in of late. I will get to everybody, I promise on that. Again, thanks for listening, and as usual, go Browns.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.